What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 94. You're getting closer to that century mark. It is March 29th, 2023. You're recording this on a Wednesday evening here on the West Coast. It's just after 6.45, and for our guests, it's uh, just a couple hours later, and our guest here tonight is Amber Salas. She's been on here before, and she joins us now here again, she's a sports anchor and MMJ for KTIV News in Sioux City, Iowa. So how's everything going in Siouxland, Amber? And uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me again. Always so fun. Um, it's been good. Uh, uh, crazy enough, it's March and still snowing. So that's a lot of fun. Happy spring. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the madness of high school basketball, college basketball out here, and now looking forward to a little break after March Madness is over, but it's been good. Yeah, and uh, Amber, I mean, it's been such an exhilarating start to 2023 in terms of sports and with so much going on, and I mean, what's kind of been your favorite moment so far in, in terms of uh, just watching sports, has it been this uh, Aztecs March Madness run or has it been something else? Yeah. Okay. So I have two I have to go with. Obviously, right. our Aztecs. It's been right. unreal. I think the coolest part is just obviously we're all alumni and have that little bias, but it's been so fun and so cool to see how it's brought every Aztec fan in the whole city together. Like you see the videos of them leaving today and fans coming out to cheer for them they're there past midnight to welcome them home from the elite eight which is it's just so cool to see everyone really care like this and for them to finally get their moment especially after what we all know was an incredible team in 2020 but then i have to give a special shout out to siouxland sports i think i've gone to a lot of state basketball tournaments because we cover both iowa nebraska and south dakota we have one team in South Dakota, the Dakota Valley Panthers boys basketball team. They'll go down in South Dakota state basketball history, two full undefeated seasons, two back-to-back state championships, 53-game win streak. It's pretty incredible if you just think about it. And to watch them all season and cover them, they could go up against some college basketball teams. They are just so talented and so fun to watch. And that was definitely a privilege to have a front row seat to that. Yeah, that's definitely cool. And I feel that's so special about, you know, local news and especially covering sports. I mean, not a lot of people, you know, outside of your area really hear about that, but when you're able to share that and, you know, on your social media, obviously you have connections with so many people, you're able to get that information out there. I mean, just, such an incredible story that you're able to cover and sports are, I, I know you're uh, covering those all the time and uh, how, how fun it's been for you out there. And so i um, glad that you're enjoying that and glad that you're uh, joining us here yet again on down the line. And uh, my co-host Brevin uh, Honda as well, um, joining us uh, here as well. Let, let's get into the fast five now um, as we kick off uh, this episode number 94 here. Um, let's talk some opening day, and I know that uh, tomorrow obviously has been uh, widely anticipated, so much looking forward to in this new season. So many moves were made in uh, this past offseason with Hot Stove and 
Um, so many different storylines that you can think of. I mean, the craziest one has to be um, Carlos Correa, for example. I mean, just that whole saga was so unique to follow. And so um, let's start with you first, Amber, uh, getting into this. Uh, what are you most looking forward to heading into opening day and uh, just this uh, first week in the baseball season? I'm just excited for people to get back out to the ballpark, honestly. Yeah. I feel like baseball is just so fun with, I don't know, just people being able to be out there and enjoy it, to enjoy it. To me, it's always like, okay, summer's coming, you know, and it's just like a staple of summer and all the fun that comes with it. But honestly, I think baseball is going to be really exciting this year, especially with the new additions. It's going to be a shorter game, the pitches, all that. I think, I think it's an exciting time for baseball because we all know it's kind of that straggler, especially with the younger generation, just with how long it could go and how long of a season it is, all things like that. But I think, yeah, especially just coming off of the world classic. I mean, like everything is so exciting right now with baseball. And I think the new additions we're going to see this year, the new changes of guys going to different teams. It's exciting for people to watch right now. Absolutely agree. And that's a great point you bring up about, you know, these rule changes, how that's going to impact the game this season. And Revan, I mean, when you think about that and everything else that's happened within just this past off season, you know, just the changes that have occurred, you know, on every single level. I mean, wh what have you thought about that? And, and what do you, uh, or what are you kind of looking forward to as, as we embark on this new season? Yeah, for a lot of baseball fans, they say opening day is like Christmas Day because uh, of how much anticipation there is in the air. And when you think about um, this pitch clock and these different rule changes, you know, we think about the different eras within the game baseball. We think about the live ball era. We think about the dead ball area. We're going to embark on a new era in baseball called the pitch clock era um, here in 2023. With, you know, as Amber mentioned, we're going to see shorter games. We're going to see, um, you know, maybe higher batting average like what we saw in the 1990s, the 1980s, where we saw, you know, players hitting 350, 360. We saw Tony Gwynn hit, hit 394 back in 1994. We're going to might be able to see some of those high averages um, come back in the game for not just like one or two players, but for a lot of players this year. Most I, definitely. Think too, I don't know if you guys have seen, I kind of remember seeing somewhere just from them in implementing this during spring training, averages of games have gone down to like two, two and a half hours, which is, nope. I remember that was crazy to see at the start. Cause you're like, okay, how's this going to go? you know, in our heads, we're like, yeah, this should definitely make a difference. But then to see that right off the bat, that was kind of interesting, kind of our first glimpse at it, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I think the whole consistency of it all, you know, through the, you know, first two games, you saw those start times, you know, two hours, 31 minutes, two hours, 37 minutes. And then when you get more of that sample size, you're able to say, hey, I mean, this is, you know, pretty much where that average game time kind of lingers and you know that's definitely going to change the game and uh, i mean just how people kind of approach watching it too so a lot of changes in place for this new season but really looking forward to it let's move on now to the number two and that is the class of 2023 naismith memorial basketball hall of fame it is full of star-studded names 
It features four players and three from overseas. So the four players are Dwayne Wade, Dirk Nowitzki, Pau Gasol, and Tony Parker. Greg Popovich and Becky Hammond are the two coaches elected this year. And a announcement for the full class will come Sunday, or Saturday rather, during the Final Four in Houston. So, I mean, just a lot of names here. Uh, we'll start with you, Brian, now. Um that we just really grew up with here watching basketball with and um, to see them elected to this hall of fame, Brevin, what does that kind of mean? Yeah, it's, you know, when you think about the two coaches, Greg Popovich and Becky Hammond, they have coached together before with the, within the San Antonio Spurs. They both have won championships um, as coaches. We saw Becky Hammond win last year um, with the Las Vegas aces. And you think about some of these players, you think about Tony Parker, who's played, for Greg Popovich, um, each of the other three players, Dwayne Wade, Dirk Nowitzki, and Paul Gasol, they've all played against Greg Popovich before. So it's going to be, I can't wait to see the those comments um, about being able to see from, especially from Gasol, Wade, and Nowitzki, what it was like to coach or what it was like to play against Greg Popovich and just the nuances that come, that kind of like that game within the game aspect. Yeah, and Amber, what do you think about this list of names that's getting elected? I would just kind of echo what you said. I think it's just a testament to what you think when you think of basketball. Kind of like you said, those those classic names you think of, of people you looked up to or were in awe of growing up, watching the game, really just legends. So it's cool to see, kind of like Brevin said, them all come together and that full list will be really cool to see. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to number three. That is the NFL owners just had their meetings in Phoenix this week, and the owners approved a couple things. One is just one roster cut from 90 to 53. This year's 53-man cut date uh, is going to be August 29th. And then also the other proposition was um, to allow players to wear the jersey number zero. I know there's a couple other changes to special uh, teams players and what they can wear too. But uh, that was the big uh, kind of takeaway from this was uh, the Jersey number zero. So um, what do you guys think about this? Uh, Amber, we'll start with you. Um, What do you think about the one roster cut change and then also the new Jersey number change? Well, the roster cut is interesting because I feel like it kind of allows them to just get to the point, you know, like you have your guys then you can just start going right away. And for everyone else, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> as as awful as it sounds, this is a business, but it's almost like ripping the Band-Aid off, you know? Like, yeah. that's kind of the worst part is when, you know, you see these talented people that maybe are kind of getting strung along thinking that there's a chance. And then when that, act, you know, when it actually comes on the final cut, it's like that heartbreak all over again. But, you know, maybe they get it away with, get it over with, and then there's another opportunity waiting for them that they can pursue or vice versa. I think that'll be interesting. And then, you know, for the guys that are on the 53-man roster, you have your guys and you're ready to go quicker, I guess. Um, The number's interesting. I don't (laughs) – I guess who gets the number zero? Who gets to be the lucky one to decide that? I actually heard something – this is really not related to the NFL, but – kind of just the jerseys, I guess. We're in the new Matt Rule era at Nebraska. That'll be interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting 
to follow along with, but they were kind of going through the same things of in the past with Nebraska, um, kind of the leaders got to pick their numbers and whatnot, but Matt Rule just took away one through nine and said that you have to earn that number, which was kind of crazy because he took those numbers away from kind of those longtime veterans who, you know, like imagine you wearing number three and he's like, nope, you don't get that anymore. Like some guys are the numbers, their most prized possession, you know, but his thing was we got to work hard during spring ball and we have to earn it. And the guys that get to wear those lower numbers, are the true representation of what it means to be a good player, both on and off the field, character, all the stuff that goes into it. So I don't know, that kind of, <laughs> totally unrelated, but it kind of makes me think, you know, with this new addition, like who gets to earn that number, you know? Yeah, I like that a lot. And I mean, that's that just shows, you know, um, it's, it's the little things in football that kind of matter to – uh, players and coaches sometimes and that's just a prime example right there so yeah I, I like that story a lot there and uh, it, it is interesting because zero's uh just such an intriguing number I guess never really seen it before and I know that one player has already been given that number that is Paris Campbell of the New York Giants he uh, was on the Colts for, uh, the past four years but just signed there as a free agent and so he's gonna be uh, number zero there, and I think he's the first guy to officially claim that. But Brevin, I mean, when you consider these two rule changes as well, the roster cut and the number changes, I mean, what are your kind of impressions on uh, this, and how do you think it, it's going to affect things? Yeah, I think ultimately for me, I think I like the one roster cut because it gives those, is that 37 players, if my math correct? Yeah, 37 players all of them that opportunity to compete for that, that those entire three to four to six weeks in camp before that they're released and can possibly either be picked up by another team or um, either get sent down to the practice squad. It just gives them um, that much more practice film for them to look at and not just for them to look at, but for other coaches around the league to look at is possibly, you know, trying to pick someone up late in the year. And then this, This proposal about wearing number zero, it's unique. I mean, we see it in the NBA with, we've seen it with like Russell Westbrook. We've seen it with Jason Tatum before, Damian Lillard's wear number zero. And so it'd be interesting to see, I mean, the in terms of the superstar quality of the players that wear number zero from the NBA to the NFL. Absolutely. All right, let's move on here. Um, Let's talk some uh, soccer, and that is Manchester United. They're going to play a friendly against Wrexham in San Diego. That's going to be held at Snapdragon Stadium on July 25th. That's a Wednesday. So I believe the first uh, European uh, soccer team to play at Snapdragon Stadium. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting because Wrexham is the team, I believe, that Ryan Reynolds owns. So uh, tickets, according to my mom, she looked it up, are starting at $300. What what do you think about this? We'll start with you. Yeah, when you think about this game, I mean, most of these players that are going to be competing in this game and to be their first time 
in America's finest city. And I think the Wrexham coach during their press conference said, we want to be America's team, which was uh, kind of funny to hear, especially for the historic uh, type of team Man United's been. But it, it'd be nice to see um, soccer or football once again here um, in San Diego. We saw it before um, Snapdragon Stadium was built at Jack Murphy Stadium, whether it was the United States and Mexico facing off numerous times, or I think we saw, oh, there's been, there's been a few European teams that have come to San Diego to play as well, but I can't think of them. I think Arsenal might've come to San Diego once before. So it'd be nice to see um, the, uh, the uh, support and the attendance um, for a a small 35,000 stadium uh, in July. Yeah, definitely with those ticket prices too. It's it's gonna be just interesting to see that turnout and uh interesting to see how those prices are gonna fluctuate too. But Amber, what do you what do you think about this kind of matchup here? Uh, obviously it's a friendly, but um it's gonna generate a lot of buzz in the San Diego area for sure. I think that's the biggest thing, honestly. This is exactly what they thought of when they built Snapdragon Stadium was this can be the home for not just Aztec football, but they want to bring in events like this that can generate that buzz and excitement for San Diego. Plus, I think it's really big for just growing the game of soccer in the United States. Obviously, we're talking about teams that are so big overseas, you know, but, you know, you think about... I think the only time I hear people get excited about soccer is during the World Cup when they're jumping on the U.S. bandwagon, you know. But soccer is exciting. Coming, yeah. My dad is a huge soccer fan, loves following Mexico teams and things like that, and he played himself back in the day. So I kind of grew up watching some of these games. Like, crazy enough, he's a big Cruz Azul fan. So oh, nice. <laughs> I remember going to one of these games, like, up in L.A. when yeah. I was little – But this place was sold out, you know? So I think that's the exciting thing is there are soccer fans here in the U.S. And this gives them the chance to all come together. Who knows? Maybe pack and sell out the place. But it just, like you said, it brings that excitement and hopefully will keep growing the game and get people excited about soccer. Yeah, it's great, too, because, you know, usually every preseason, it's these European teams that come to the U.S. for these uh, preseason tournaments. And uh, U.S. Uh, is uh, – they're doing a U.S. tour is Man United. And it, it's going to be a lot of fun. They usually go to areas like Chicago, Florida, uh, Seattle, and then now San Diego. So really all over. Um, it, it's great to see them grow the game, like you said, and it's going to be fun to see this matchup kind of unfold. But let's move on to number five now. And, Amber, this is a uh, – topic that you are very familiar with here that is number two seed uh university of iowa's caitlin clark she became the only college basketball player male or female to have a 40 point triple double in an ncaa tournament game that came on sunday to help the hawkeyes advance to the women's final four in a 97 to 83 win over number five louisville so a big win there for Iowa and Caitlin Clark has forever etched herself in history. What do you think about this, Amber, and how big is this for the game? Well, not only that, today, a couple hours ago, she was announced as the Naismith Women's National Player of the Year, which is so Mm -hmm. cool. She is just a stud. 
I don't know if you got to watch any of her highlights from that game. She pulls up from the logo. Like, it's yeah. nobody's business. It is unreal. And I think the coolest thing about her, she's so talented, but she's so humble. Even today, when I saw her accept this, the National Player of the Year Award, the first thing she said was, this award 1,000% goes to my teammates as much as it goes to me because without them, I wouldn't be put into a position to get the shots that I have or to do the things that I've done. So I think it's just so cool what she's done. But here in Iowa, there's nothing more exciting than her. Everyone here, whether they maybe are an Iowa State fan or maybe they're a Nebraska fan or whoever it is, everyone stops to watch Caitlin Clark. And it's just unreal. Their, Their home games, which are the same place where the Iowa men's basketball team plays, are sold out like every time. So it's just, I think the the most awesome thing for me to see is she's so fun to watch. It's made people excited about watching women's basketball. It's growing the game. And I mean, like, I just think even when I have the games on in the newsroom to record them to show highlights, people literally will stop and be like, oh, my gosh, look at her. And they're as excited about the game as anything else, you know. So I think that's the coolest thing. She's unreal. And she's done a lot for women's college basketball. Yeah, that's awesome. And absolutely. She's a beast. And uh, she's definitely going to help that team in the final four. It's going to be. Have you also seen the shout out she's getting? She's got Steph Curry, LeBron, yeah. like all of these people know who she is and are talking about how talented she is. I think that's so awesome. Yeah. But, but now, so fun. South Carolina, Aaliyah Boston, it's going to be a showdown for sure. Amber, we think about women's college hoops, you know, with Kaylin Clark and what she's been able to do. How much has that been able to? Kind of like fill a void, especially with the injury to Paige Bukers over the last year um, in women's college hoops. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Like you like you said, sports inevitably comes with the trials and tribulations. <laughs> but it's ama- I think that's also the coolest thing about this Hawkeyes team is just the adversity that they overcome. Even the the past few games in the in the NCAA tournament, they were down Hannah Stolke, who is a key person for them in the post, you know, but it's like any person can step up. And I think Clark is kind of a big part of bringing that confidence. Even in this elite eight game, they went down 10 two, I think at the start of the game, but then any person can just start knocking them down, getting that energy going, and they all just kind of ride off of it. So I think, yeah, like nothing phases them, I think. And I don't know. I mean, Lisa Bluter's an amazing coach too. I think she's huge in just giving them that mindset. I've seen a lot of her pregame speeches, and it's just like, we just got to go out and be us, you know? So I think that confidence is so big. Here's a uh, looking on Twitter, Fox College Sports, Clayton, Caitlin Clark, scoring stat since since starting at iowa in 2020 caitlin clark has scored 30 plus points in 37.4 percent of her games and then you think about the iowa football team they've scored 30 plus points in 25.7 percent of their games yeah that's crazy (laughs) Mm -hmm. she's just a scoring machine night in and night out 
there's yep. never an off day for her even when it is an off day it's like a 20 point game you know like mm -hmm. it's crazy also the the elite eight game espn said averaged more viewers than any nba game mm -hmm. like that's just crazy it's like it's just the excitement that's brewing from people wanting to watch her, which I think is so cool. We even a lot of the games we were covering this year, even at home in Iowa, there's people coming in from all over with their signs that say, we drove from so wherever to watch Caitlin Clark, you know? So yeah. it's, really fun. it's been really cool to see. <laughs> all right. We are going to move on. Um, we're going to talk more March Madness in the second half of our episode, but we're going to move on to, Major League Baseball, over the last six weeks, we have previewed each division, or, uh, division by division, beginning from the National League West to last week's American League East. So go watch those if you haven't already. But we also picked our wild card. Kyle and I, we picked our wild card, two wild card teams from each division. So this week it comes down to our World Series pick. Amber's going to join us as well. But Kyle, who do you have taking home this World Series trophy in 2023? <laughs> yeah, this is gonna be tough. Um, th there's a lot of teams I think that can compete for this World Series uh, championship, but you know what? I'm gonna go out on a limb. I'm going to say it's going to be the Slam Diego Padres. I'm going with the Padres. I think they have the team to do it. They've added to the depth this off season that. Um, will require them to be sustainable throughout the season. Um, that's what they're going to need in order to um, kind of survive this long year. And in order to be successful, you need to have depth. And um, that's what I think they've kind of addressed. Uh, their pitching rotation is elite. Uh, they have a bullpen that's solid in place. And I think, you know, all those factors coming together and, and Tatis rejoining this lineup, it, it's going to bring all positive things for them. And I think we're going to see it on a night in and night out basis. So I'm going to go with the Padres. If I had to pick an AL side to reach the world series, I'd probably say the Astros. Hmm. That is the same two teams. The MLB.com writers put together in their story. Kyle, huh. when you're coming up with that answer with the way you had your two wild card teams from the American league, I really thought you were going to say the angels there. <laughs> uh, I can't say that yet. <laughs> All right, Amber, who who do you have uh taking home this year's fall classic? Um, <laughs> um I am gonna back up Kyle. I think it's time for Slam Diego. I think he's right. They've been so exciting the past two seasons and the run that they made this past year was so fun. But like you said, there's just those few missing pieces, the depth in the pitching, the bullpen, the now the additions that they've added as well. Tatis wasn't even with them last year, and they still went on the run that they did. So I think this is the time. And, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Well, I think the coolest thing we'll get to see, I guess, right off the bat, starting here soon. But I think, obviously, it's such a long season, but – it's exciting to see kind of when teams start getting hot at the right time. And I think the Padres have done that the past few seasons. So it'll be exciting to see how it all comes together now with these pieces that have been added that are, were kind of that missing part in a lot of people's minds. Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to go three for three here. I'm going to take the Padres as well. I think as much as we talk about Fernando not being here, as much as we talk about Xander Bogarts, we think about that top four of that lineup, you know, with Machado and Soto and Bogarts, I think it's the key thing is going to come to that bottom of the lineup with whether it's Hassan Kim, whether it's Trent Grisham, Austin Nolo, who's expected to be healthy after taking a pitch to the nose just last week. Um, I think it's going to really come down to them and how well they're able to get that lineup to flip it back up to the top. So I'm going to take the Padres as well here. So those are our World Series picks. If I had to pick an American League team like Kyle, I think I'd probably go, I don't know. I feel like the Astros are a possibility. I feel like maybe the Blue Jays could be a possibility as well. We heard, yeah. we heard Kyle talk about how highly this Blue Jays team is going to be here in 2023. So, And it's hard for a team to go to the World Series back-to-back years, let alone try and win back-to-back years. So I'm going to take the Blue Jays here. I like that. All right. We're going to come back to the Padres in a sec, but we're going to get to some Angels talk real quickly. Kyle, how are you feeling about uh, – one more day before opening day. How are you feeling about this season for the Los Angeles Angels? No, I think it should be better than last year. I don't know how much better it's going to be. I did predict them to, you know, go to the wild card, but who knows if that's going to happen. And if they're not able to do that, they're not going to be able to retain Shohei Otani. So, uh, if that's the case, I think it's really going to go all the way downhill for them uh, even further. Um, I don't know how you feel about this, Amber, but I think, you know, that the Angels are so reliant on, on having a good year. That also goes in part with the health of really everyone on the team. But I think, you know, most notably Anthony Rendon, he needs to stay healthy for once in his career and, um, if Mike Trout can, you know, continue to play 140 games a year like we've seen him do so often in his career, um, th- this team is going to go really far, and I-, I think anything is possible. Yeah, I was going to the first thing that popped into my mind is it's literally now or never, especially when you think of Shohei Otani, you know? And he's so exciting. He's literally what they need. But like you said, it's just putting it all together. They're dangerous when they're all together, but – how long can we keep them all together, you know? So I think that's going to be key, yeah. keeping everyone healthy, keeping everyone playing strong. It's like, we'll get out on a win streak and then. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. It's definitely a big year. A lot of things could happen if it's not. Don't want to think about that. <laughs> yep, Exactly. Yeah, although Jared Walsh and Max Sassy are supposed to start the year on the injured list, you know, you think about this Astros team, you know, we think about what took place, as Amber mentioned in the World Baseball Classic at the top of the show, you know, for Mike Trout just to be in that type of a stage, it's something that kind of is kind of energized him. Um, I think it's pretty sure that's what he said heading into this year. And so that might be that boost that this entire team needs. Um, to get them through at least into the playoffs um, this year. Yeah, and uh, like you mentioned, you know, Max Stassi, you know, kind of dealing with that right now, Brevin. Uh, Logan Ohapi, he's, he's going to be the catcher 
Yep. The circus season here for the Angels, so that's going to be exciting too. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to move on to the Padres uh, here before opening day tomorrow where Blake Snell takes the hill, but um, third base coach Matt Williams, he is going into surgery on Friday after being di- diagnosed with colon cancer earlier in the in the month despite not having any symptoms. There is right now no timetable for his return, and uh, being the third base coach, uh, coach will be a Mike Schilt. Yeah, I mean, it, this is tough news to hear. Obviously, hoping the best for him and hoping his surgery goes well and um, he's able to get back out there because that's what we all want to see. And so, um, you know, hoping for the best and uh, hoping that his, you know, return, like you mentioned, no timetable right now, but, uh, you know, hopefully it is sooner than later. Mm-hmm. What's so interesting, you know, as much as we talk about the depth within the players, there's so much depth within this coaching staff. I mean, I don't know how many players or how many people from that Padres organization thought Mike Schill was going to be with the Padres in 2023. You know, being a former coach, being a former manager for the Cardinals and getting them to the playoffs. And so having that type of depth where you've got Mike Schilt, you've got Brian Price as well. Um, within your coaching staff, I think you're going to be a lot of bonus uh, for this Padres team as well here in 2023. All right. Like I mentioned, Blake Snell gets the opening day start against the Rockies tomorrow. One of a long list of opening day starters. All 30 teams are playing um, here tomorrow for opening days. We mentioned at the top of the Fast Five Kyle, final preseason expectations uh, before opening day tomorrow for this Padres team. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the expectations are high, no doubt about it. Um, if I were to set a win total, I would say, you know, think it's a 100. That, that would be really nice. Um, and this team has potential to go really far if they're able to put things together. Um, ultimately, I think Manny Machado is going to have to be their X factor as we saw last season. If he's able to continue that here, um, they're destined to do a lot of really good things. And part of that uh, middle of that lineup and they're going to be a fun team to watch regardless of what happens. And um, like I mentioned earlier with Tati's coming back, um, I think everyone's looking forward to that and seeing uh, how he responds to the adversity that uh, he faced this past year. Hmm. Amber, when you look about this Padres team, I know we talked about it during our World Series picks, but what are you hoping that this team can do here in 2023? I think they got to make a deep run, like like we were all kind of saying. But it was interesting hearing Kyle just say that because the first thing that popped into my mind is they got to keep the momentum and they got to stay together. And I think that was the overcoming adversity it's a long season inevitably things are going to happen but how do you respond to that and I think last year we got such a good glimpse of that because it's almost kind of crazy to think about all that they went through between Tatis hurt all the injuries then you throw in the suspension of a guy that they really rely on and how that even just caused drama in the clubhouse you know Manny Machado jumping all over him you know, like there were so there was so much outside noise last year 
but they still came together and made a deep run. And just kind of from watching what I've seen at spring training, it seems like it's a good group meshing well together. So I think the challenge is let's keep that going. Let's focus on the task at hand. And that's what allows teams to keep it going, put together something strong, despite how long of a season it can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as much as I talked about the uh, um, bottom half of that lineup, I think it's also, I think another key, it's going to be that bottom half of that rotation. You know, we're going to see, uh, you know, you Darvish is going to skip um, his start, so he'll be on that back, um, be on that back end of the rotation to start off the year. Same with Joe Musgrove, who got injured in a uh, gym uh, situation, dropping a kettlebell on his toe, which doesn't sound the best, no matter any weight that is. But I think that's going to be the key, whether it's Nick Martinez, whether it's Seth Lugo, Ryan Weathers is slated to pitch the fifth day of the season. Um, you know, you got Michael Walk in that mix. If you bring up Julio Tehran, I think that that part of that rotation, I think, is going to be crucial. I mean, we saw what we saw what Nick Martinez can do um, in his starter's role, but it's about can he do that for an entire year, which is something that um, he has believed in um, this entire offseason. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear from more from Amber Salas. She's going to join us for half number two. We're going to talk some more of March Madness. We're going to talk some more NFL, and we're going to get into trivia when we come back here on Down the Line. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode number 94 of Down the Line. We are just six episodes away from hitting triple digits. It is Thursday, March 29th. Joined here with Kyle Betts and Amber Salas in MMJ and Sports Anger for KTIV News in Sioux City, Iowa. It's been, I was looking back, well, not really during break, but during the first half, it's been since September since Amber joined our show when we talked primarily fantasy football with her. Um, but now here we are in this off season. Amber, have you done any prep to get ready for next year for fantasy football? Nope. No, that's okay. <laughs> we got to I don't know. I think the excitement's all about to begin. We're about to go. We got the owners meeting right now. Mm-hmm. We've got the draft coming up here. Uh, yeah. get into, uh, all the excitement. So I think that's when I'll start getting more into it. I'm just focused on March Madness right now. Yeah. Yeah. That is how we are going to start this second half with March Madness. We're going to talk all about our alumni, and that is the San Diego State Aztecs. They're playing in their first Final Four in program history. I never think I'd say those words, but the first <laughs> Final Four in program history, they get to take on another mid-major in Florida Atlantic University, Kyle, when you think about this journey for the Aztecs, they beat a couple of double-digit seeds, then take on 
the number one team in the bracket and then take beat a familiar face in Greg McDermott and the Creighton Blue Jays. Kyle, how would you describe this run so far for the Aztecs? Yeah, I think you said it perfectly when you mentioned that you never thought that you would say they would make the Final Four. I mean, it's it's crazy to think about. I mean, it's historic. It uh, puts the school more on the map. I mean, the Aztecs have already been on that map, but I mean, just cementing their legacy now and, and being able to do this with such a talented team, and especially for me, um, this whole run that they've had, I, I've thought back to the 2020 team and how they never really got their chance because – uh, that tournament was canceled, and um, I, I still reflect on the members of that squad who are now either super seniors or super duper seniors and are a part of this Final Four run. So um, I'm definitely grateful for that, uh, to, to be able to see them kind of uh, achieve those, those goals and, and live out their dreams. It's been awesome to see that. And uh, Brian Dutcher, the head coach, he, he definitely deserves it too. He's done a great job. And this program is, uh, I think, in good hands for a long time with him at the helm. And, man, what an exciting time. And like you said, who would have thought they would take down the number one team and, you know, play a lot of other gritty games along the way and find a way to edge those out and end up in the position that they're in playing a ninth seed in the Final Four. I mean, how crazy is that? That's not discounting FAU by any means, but, I mean, still a ninth seed is crazy to think about in a final four game. Mm-hmm. Amber, when you think about the Aztecs team, you know, even though you're in Iowa, what has it been like following this team uh, make their run here in the NCAA tournament? It's been so exciting. And I think the coolest thing is, obviously everyone out here has listened to me be way too excited about the Aztecs. <laughs> so they're kind of jumping on the train too, which has been pretty cool. But actually like people... More people know about them than I thought because I'll be going all out with my Aztecs hat and my alumni sweatshirt. And occasionally I, I'll be out at the store and I get a go Aztecs. So that's kind of fun. But yeah, like Kyle said, and like you said yourself, how awesome to say we're playing in the final four, you know, it's so awesome. But I don't know. I think the craziest thing is that they not the craziest thing. The thing is, they deserve it. You know, I think a lot of these analysts or people that are talking are like, oh, San Diego State, this is crazy. But they're a good program that's been developed over time, going all the way back to Steve Fisher and everything that he did. Brian Dutcher sits under him all those years and finally gets his shot. If you think about it, they've been, in, they would have been in the tournament four years in a row if it COVID didn't happen in 2020. And that says a lot. That says they're a consistent program who consistently puts together good teams. And like we talked about all the time, 2020, no one got the chance to see what a great team they really were, but they're finally getting their moment. And I think that's really exciting. And like Kyle said, they got the potential to do something really special here. I think Mm -hmm. it's a good matchup for sure. Mm -hmm. Kyle, you, we heard Amber just mentioned about C. Fisher and Brian Dutcher. You know, we, th- we heard them talk about through the years about, you know, when we recruit, we tell players, you know, we can get to a final four, we can get to a national championship. What does it mean that they're actually making that become a reality here in 2023? 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's special. It's it's kind of what you preach. That's what you put to the core values of the program. And finally, to see them live it out, it, it's great. And like Amber said, Dutch being able to do this right now is Steve Fisher's legacy. And that's going to continue even with these other assistant coaches. I mean, Dave Velasquez, the position that he's in now, um, kind of been with this program for a while, too. And to see his growth with the program, to see his excitement now reaching the final four um, on Twitter, um, seeing his reactions uh, on camera has been a lot of fun to see, too. So um, to not only see the players so invested in this program, but the coaches and really seeing that whole team chemistry and bond come together. It really shows that they're a family and they do things the right way. That's what Brian Dutcher said, I believe, um, either today or yesterday uh, in uh, an interview. Uh, he said this program does things the right way, and uh, I completely agree. And I, I think it's something that you, you can see, too. Mm -hmm. I just want to jump off of that real mm -hmm. quick, too, because you nailed it perfectly, especially in a day and age where we see the one and done so often or people – hitting the portal anytime something doesn't go their way. These players come here and they stay here. Like I think about Adam Seiko, who's running on how many years now? I mean, six. That, <laughs> that says all you need to know about what Dutcher's done with this program. Um, he wants to play here for San Diego State. He's happy with the success he has at San Diego State. And even if you think about the players from that 2020 team, we still have Nathan Mensa. Keyshaw Johnson. I know. I think there's four of them still left. Rope, in that yeah. Yep, mm -hmm. rope. Um, so I think it's just awesome that you know we we grab a lot of awesome talented players from the portal to put the puzzle together. Yeah. But once they come to San Diego State, they stay at San Diego State because it's something special that they want to be a part of. And I think that's really cool, especially in this day and age of college basketball. Mm -hmm. When we think about this game coming up on Saturday at three o'clock, Amber, when you think about this game, um, can you see the Aztecs taking down this nine seed in Florida Atlantic on Saturday? I think they can. I think anything is possible for this team at this point. And I think that's the most exciting thing about this year's March Madness is it really is anyone's game. I mean, like Kyle said, they're a nine seed, but you can't look past that right now because obviously they're a really talented team to do what they've done and make it this far. But I think, you know, Brian Dutcher's an awesome coach, and I think time after time in this tournament, we've seen him remind them that, you know, it doesn't matter who we're playing. You guys just got to go out and do your thing. But I think that sometimes can be a thing when, you know, maybe – if, let's say there was a one seed still left. You kind of look at that as, oh, well, they're the one seed, you know, like – they're, they don't have that element anymore to think about. And right now, these teams just have all the momentum in the world. If you think about what San Diego State has done so far, taking down number one Alabama, taking down Creighton in a rematch of last year's game and a game that went down to the wire, you know? So I think they have all the momentum in the world. They have the strongest defense I think anyone has seen and they've had guys that have been stepping up, getting hot at the right time, like Darion Trammell. I mean, yeah, guys limit for him. We haven't even seen the best of Matt Bradley, who's their top scorer all season. What happens if he gets going? I think they have everything going for them. I think the biggest thing is just staying humble, not letting the moment be too big, 
using that depth and experience that they have and just trusting what they've done to go out there and get it done. Mm -hmm. The Aztecs have not had a multiple leading scores in this NCAA tournament so far. Matt Bradley um, was the leading scorer against Charleston. And then, you, like you mentioned, you had Darion Tramiel against Alabama. You had Michael Parrish against Furman. And then you had Lamont Butler uh, against Creighton um, the other day. Kyle, when you think about this matchup, um, how big does the Aztec team want to get to a national championship led by their defense? Yeah, I, I you know, Brevin, when you, when you think about defense and their calling card, I, I think about the moments on March Madness coverage where um, they've shown Brian Dutcher speaking from the locker room and uh, there's a whiteboard in the background and uh, it says uh, uh, defense. Uh, I think it's a defense and hard work wins championships. Um, and then the, the other uh, kind of scribble on the board that uh, a lot of people picked up was uh, we're some real tough ass dudes. <laughs> and <laughs> honestly, you can see both of those things on the court every single time they play. And that's what it's going to require to be this uh, FAU squad is really just relying on what has made them so successful in the tournament is stifling defense and playing physical, um, whether that's drawing fouls, um, winning rebounds, uh, just being tougher than the other team. Sometimes that's what it takes. And athleticism can sometimes win you ball games um, when some things aren't falling your way, such as shots. So uh, I, I think ultimately uh, when, when you think about this Aztecs team, it's hard work, it's defense, it's uh, toughness, it's grit. And that's what it's going to require because offensively it could be anyone's night and you, we never know what we're going to get. So uh, it just comes down to how they can create uh, possession and kind of control tempo of the game by playing defense. Mm -hmm. This is an Aztec team that, that has won their last eight games in their last, I can't even remember what it is. I think it's about 14 of 15. Um, over the last, and then they're facing an FAU team that has won 11 straight games heading into Saturday. Yeah. You got a couple of mid-majors facing off on, and then on the other side of the bracket, you've got a couple of, Power six teams in number five seed Miami taking on number four seed UConn. Both Miami and the Aztecs are just the eighth and ninth number five seeds to make a final four. And they're both looking to become the first number five seed to win a national championship on in NCAA men's basketball. Kyle, when you think about this Miami UConn game, who you picked UConn to go to your final four, like I mentioned in our bracket show. Um, to, uh, what are you hoping for? And what are you hoping for in this UConn Miami game? Yeah. Once again, uh, only final four team I picked in two brackets. I made is UConn. And so I think they've done enough to kind of prove themselves worthy of this. They had a really good run in the big East this season. They can shoot really well. And, um, their ball movement is what really creates chances for them. And so uh, that's what's key for them. Uh, Miami has kind of 
been that streaky team throughout the tournament where I don't know of really anyone who had them in the final four, but they've been able to find a way to win games. And sometimes that's what it takes in March. So it's going to be a good matchup. UConn favored to win. Um, they're projected to uh, face San Diego State, at least in terms of favorites right now, in the national championship game. UConn is, uh, at least they opened as plus 150 favorites to be national champions. And uh, San Diego State was plus 400. So it just shows uh, things are close right now. UConn is the favorite. They're also the highest seed. Not like that means much in March, but still some things to consider as we kind of head into this weekend where um, there are some clear favorites, but we don't know what we're going to get. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned UConn is the number four seed. There are, I don't remember the last time this, I don't think this has happened ever, but there are no number ones number twos or number three seeds in a final four this year. And uh, we think about Miami taking down Houston in the sweet 16, uh, leaving no number one seeds in the elite eight for the first time in tournament history. Amber, when you think about this, how this Miami UConn game comes together now after this essay game, what are you expecting from these two teams? Yeah, I think, I think this will be a good one, too, though. I mean, I agree with Kyle. I think UConn has the edge here with just the pieces that they have, the way they move the ball. I think that's big. And just the shots that they take, you know. Um, they've had a really good run, a really good season. And, yeah, just that the depth and the experience, I guess. But I don't know. Like, I think – Miami is almost that San Diego State feel where they've gotten hot at the right time. They've put together some good wins over good teams, too. So it's almost like all the expectations and things that we've seen just go out the window. And it's just going to be a fantastic college basketball game, which is what you want in March. You know, I think it'll I guess now we're going to be in April, but same thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh. I think this one will go down to the wire and it really is going to be who comes up big. Maybe we get a lucky buzzer beater. I don't know, but I think this will be a good game, but I'm going to say we're going to get UConn and San Diego state. That's mm -hmm. my Amber is relying on the favorites here. As Kyle mentioned, I think I'm going to, I'm going to take the Aztecs. I don't know who this team, I don't know who the Aztecs are going to face. You think that the history of Miami's head coach, Jim Laranega, he, Took George Mason as I can't remember what seed they were back in 2006, but helped them get to, um, I think it was a final four that year. You think about the history that UConn's had, you know, whether it's Kemba Walker, uh, we think about that 2014 championship season as well. So this is, yeah. um, a UConn team and their longtime fans have been here before. So the other three teams have not been to a final four before, except for, the head coach uh, of Miami, Jim Laranega, Brian Dutcher, has been to a Final Four as the assistant at Michigan, part of that five, Fab Five team back in the 90s. So there's some experience around within these coaches and within the, these programs of being in the Final Four, but a lot of firsts for most of these players. All right, before we move on to NFL, there was a quick tweet that I want to get to from Jeff Passan from ESPN. A deal is in place between minor league players in the MLB Players Association and at Major League Baseball on the historic first collective bargaining agreement 
for minor leaguers. Union officials tell Passant and ESPN the deal is five years and includes at least two times pay at all levels of the minor leagues. Yeah, I think it's great for the game. You see, you know, the commissioner here finally take a step into helping minor leaguers, you know, because there's been so many stories about, you know, the struggles that, that they've had to kind of encounter of uh, going through the farm system and uh, um, the lack of support they've received from the league. So to kind of see them, you know, at least take one step towards getting better, I, I, I think it's progress. And um, hopefully that continues and these minor leaguers can benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Amber, thoughts about this tweet coming from Jeff Hassan about minor leaguers now with a collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, I would just echo that too. This was a long time coming for sure. I think when you think about any professional team, it's a lot of work to go through the minor league. It's it's a lot of work in general to get yeah. to the professional level. There's a lot of work that's put in. It's kind of that grind, the dog days, you know? And I think nothing is more – nothing exemplifies that more than baseball minor leagues with the levels that they go through, all the stops you have to make, busing – to all of your games it's by no means glamorous but it's the hard work you have to put in to accomplish your dreams and I think this just um is it's a it's what they deserve and hopefully it'll help those people to keep going and keep pushing when a lot of people you know might have given up this is Mm -hmm. that little extra boost so to say Mm -hmm. um in a uh, another tweet that Jeff Passini detailed the pay increases um, for minor leaguers, so those playing in uh, the complex leagues like rookie ball, they uh, have originally been paid $4,800 per year. They're now going to get paid $19,800. Both low A and high A, um, you were paid $11,000. That's now being increased if you're in low A to $26,200. If you're in high A to $27,300. If you're in double A, yeah, uh, used to get paid 13.8k. You're now going to get paid more than $30,000. And if you're in AAA, that uh, original pay was set at 17.5k, it's now being raised to 35.8 thousand dollars, almost doubled, nearly doubled. And player, players will be paid almost year round, aside from a six week break in the winter. All right. So with that news, we're going to move on now from baseball to the NFL. We're continuing this new league years. We enter uh, week number two or the second full week um, after starting the NFL league. We're on March 15th. A um, couple of signings that we're going to get to. Wide receiver DJ Chark signing a one-year deal with the Carolina Panthers. Kyle, Kyle how do you feel about um, DJ Chark going to Carolina? Yeah, it's a good pickup. They got him for pretty cheap. I think like five million or something. So not too bad. He is pretty injury prone, but when he is healthy, he can make a difference. I think he had over five hundred receiving yards last season for the Lions, even though he missed a few games. So still the potential is there, like we saw from him early on in his career in Jacksonville. And now he joins an offense with Adam Thielen. Uh, going there now, Hayden Hurst just uh, signed Miles Sanders as well, and they're, you know, projected to um, do something with uh, 
that number one overall pick now at quarterback. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. But they're a team with a lot of potential. Amber, how crucial of a signing is this to add to this depth um, for a Carolina team in a wide-open NFC South? Yeah, I think that's the key. I think there's it's almost like a fresh start for Carolina. New coach, new quarterback coming in most likely. Um, all these new pieces, Adam Thielen, that's super exciting. I think it's kind of the chance to revamp this offense. And, yeah, I when I think of DJ Chark, kind of like Kyle said, I think about some of the, the standout times he had in Jacksonville. And so it's kind of like, okay, new team, new start, new offense to learn and grow in. I think that the sky's kind of the limit for what they can do. We just got to get everyone together and see what they can do. But – It'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. Mm-hmm. We got a veteran now in linebacker Bobby Wagner. He is returning to the Pacific Northwest, going back to Seattle. Kyle, what's your reaction to hearing about Bobby Wagner returning to the Seahawks? Yeah, I think this is a deal not a lot of people kind of expected, but um, um, it is interesting to see how it all played out. Um you know, with with him being on the Rams, him making a difference there, being such an impact player, what he's able to bring to the table. Um, it, it's big for this uh, Seattle team that really surprised a lot of people last season, especially with Geno Smith. But, but uh, a big pickup there, they still have Jamal Adams as a part of this defense. Uh, he's going to return from injury. Quandre Diggs. Uh, I mean, this this team has a lot of potential when you really think about it. And they also added Draymond Jones on the defensive line from the Broncos this offseason. I mean, that's another huge pickup for them, um, especially since they're losing Shelby Harris. So uh, they're going to try and compete now in this NFC West, and I think this pickup allows them to kind of do so. Mm-hmm. Amber, you think about how much does Bobby Wagner's addition to that Seattle defense um, going to be huge for them? Um, come the season in the NFC West. Yeah, I would just echo all of that again. I think the biggest thing is just the depth and experience, you know, like someone that can bring that line together, that room together, um, kind of just molding back into that group. Like Kyle said, they have a lot of good pieces, and I think this just adds to the strength. Hopefully he'll be a leader in the locker room. Um, no, not hopefully. You know he'll be a leader in the locker room. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential for what they can do. And, yeah, mm-hmm. another another exciting thing to keep an eye on. I think, like, that's the that's the most exciting thing about the offseason and when things start coming together with training camp about to start and the season around the corner, you get to see all these pieces come together. It's like the moving pieces to the puzzle each offseason. Mm-hmm. You think about that depth, and you think about that rookie presence, as Amber mentioned. You think about Jarek Bullen, who finished third in the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year honors this past year um, to be part of with Bobby Wagner now in Seattle. All right, one of the biggest moves in the NFL this week came out of Baltimore, where quarterback Lamar Jackson has requested a trade after being non-exclusively tagged by the team last week as we mentioned on our on our show yes uh this is a big deal because 
teams are looking for quarterbacks and there are a few teams who have uh, higher picks in the draft that could do something to trade for Lamar Jackson, like you said, um, to acquire him from that non-exclusive tag and uh, make him their uh, starting quarterback. So a couple of those teams could be the Colts, the Patriots, and the Lions. Now, I feel like the Colts are most likely just because they do have the fourth overall pick. If they stand pat, they kind of risk taking uh, the third quarterback available, and it could not – I mean, it might might not be necessarily the quarterback of their choice. So um, by trading for Lamar, they get a proven veteran who they've had veterans, you know, most recently, and it hasn't worked out for them. But he did win MVP in the last few seasons, so always something to consider there. The Patriots, I heard, are out of the race for him. And then the Lions can do it too, but they kind of – raised the vote of confidence for Jared Goff the other day. So um, in my opinion, I think it's Colts or uh, the Ravens that are going to end up with Lamar Jackson as their quarterback next season. Mm -hmm. Amber, do you see uh, Lamar Jackson being in a different uniform come week one of this NFL season? Well, the way he's talking, you would think. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's been the craziest thing is just how he's gone all about it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like I sit back and I'm like, what is he doing? You know, like, like, I don't know. Is there anyone guiding him in these decisions and what he's been putting out on social media? That's been kind of funny. I don't know if you noticed this too, or I heard people talking about it on a podcast that apparently that tweet was released like two minutes after the Ravens started talking at the owner's meeting. It was like, it was calculated. (laughs) when that Um, would be which is just like kind of funny and ironic but I would agree with Kyle I think it's the Colts or the Ravens I mean I think that's the interesting thing too is if you think about the beginning of the season there were endless options of who was going to have open spots of quarterbacks but now we see these spots being filled the Saints are filled the Niners got their people the Raiders have their people you know so it's kind of like the clock is winding down and pretty soon you're still stuck in Baltimore, you know? So it'll be interesting to see how it all goes down. But just by the talk, the way he is acting, you think he's going to be gone and you would think it would be the mm-hmm. Colts. I guess mm-hmm. time will tell. Yeah. Kyle, you cover the Colts and for KV.com, you know, if the Colts are able to get Lamar Jackson how do you see Lamar Jackson kind of, if he's a cult, how do you see him fitting into this offense when you've got a healthy Jonathan Taylor, you've got Michael Pittman um, leading those receivers? Yeah, first and foremost, well, the offensive line has to play well. I mean, they gave <laughs> up 60 sacks last year, and they just did not play up to their standard. Quentin Nelson, he was voted to the Pro Bowl, but he didn't attend because he felt he didn't play well enough last season. And, I mean, it, it was pretty indicative at times. You know, he wasn't at his best, but the, the whole team wasn't. I mean, they only won four games. So um, they, they brought in pretty much their team commander, Jeff Saturday, to kind of finish things off for them and give them that number four pick. And so they're going to, uh, if they do trade for Jackson, use that number four pick and maybe – uh, their 2024 20, first round pick to get him. 
And if they do that, I think to answer your question, Brevin, I, I think uh, he'll fit in well because like we've seen with their head coach, uh, Shane Steichen, with the Chargers in 2020, Amber's very familiar uh, with the job that he did as their offensive coordinator, Justin Herbert, breaking all those rookie passing records. And then when he goes to Philadelphia, he pretty much uh, emulates that, but only with a different style quarterback in Jalen Hurts, and he leads him to the MVP conversation. So he's done with two quarterbacks that have different uh, sizes, measurables, uh, traits, uh, abilities, and he's been able to win games. So I, I think really with any quarterback, uh, the offense, uh, if, if they do have uh, talent, obviously the quarterback, but uh, it's kind of plug in and I think they'd be successful. We're going to keep you updated on the Lamar Jackson news as it continues to unfold, especially as Aaron Rodgers gets set to possibly be on a new team. We're waiting for that deal to possibly get done, but we're going to focus on one player who did get uh, a deal done, and that was Lamar Jackson's former teammate now uh, and defensive end, Calais Campbell, signing a one-year deal with the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, this is a good deal here. They added uh, David Onyemata. He was on the Saints, but now he is a Falcon, and he joins a division rival there. Um, he's going to line up alongside uh, former All-Pro tackle Grady Jarrett. So that uh, defensive line is looking really good right now, especially as they add the veteran in, in Calais Campbell. Obviously, such a good player. Um, Walter Payton, man of the year, I believe, too. So um, that that's pretty cool and to see him joining a new team on a short-term deal. He's going to be a really good locker room presence. Um, they also brought in Jesse Bates this offseason, and uh, they have a new, new defensive coordinator. So it, it's looking good for the Falcons right now. Um, they're trying to get better, but the quarterback really is the biggest question for them, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was Clyde Campbell, who won the Walter Payton Man of the Year in 2019, was also part of the Hall of Fame All-2010s team. Uh, when it was announced a few years ago. Amber, thoughts about the Falcons adding to their defense in Calais Campbell? Yeah, I think they they needed some help. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. yeah, I think just as they're rebuilding, you're starting to see these pieces start coming together. And what they're doing with the defensive line is a big step in that. Like Kyle said, new coordinator, new guys mm-hmm. coming in, Big presence in the locker room, great leadership. I think that's kind of all the pieces to start getting them on track. But now, yeah, it's kind of, okay, what are the other pieces that still need to be filled too? And mm-hmm. especially quarterback. But yeah. we'll see. Step in the right direction, though. Mm-hmm. You got Desmond Ritter, who's going to be in there for year number two in the NFL. He also, this also comes after Marcus Mariota has now moved on to Philadelphia to back up Jalen Hurts. All right, we're going to move on now. Our final subject or our final um, final piece of our show today is trivia, and I'll let Kyle take it away. Yeah, so obviously we're in the midst of March Madness, and so um, I kind of want to quiz uh, each of you on uh, the NCAA uh, men's tournament uh, obviously so much has happened through the years and, uh, so many crazy moments, but 
Uh, I kind of want to put it together here in trivia. I'm just going to ask you a few questions here on this tournament. Um, so this year's no, oh, just in general, oh, okay. just in general, the history of the tournament, essentially. <laughs> so, um, I guess we can start with this. This, uh, I don't, I don't know if this is something that you will get, but uh, we'll start with you first, Amber. Here, March Madness. Well, the term wouldn't become associated with the NCAA tournament until which announcer used it during coverage of the 1982 tournament? Legendary college announcer. Do we don't get options? I need like an A, <laughs> B, C, or D. You want an A, B, C? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, I can give you a few here. Uh, we can go with um, Bob Costas is A. Um, Brent Musburger is B. Or Al Michaels at A. Bob Costas. No, it is not Bob Costas. It's actually B. Brent Musburger. Absolutely. I was going to say Al Michaels. <laughs> I don't think he did college basketball, did he? Yeah, no, he didn't. Um, Brent Musburger, yeah, he was the first one to do it. Um, just a few later, so that was uh, when they first started playing One Shiny Moment. But the first Legendary. term of Mark Adams was uh, five years before then in 1982. You learn so, something new every day. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was actually first used in reference to basketball by an Illinois uh, high school official, um, Henry V. Porter, back in 1939, but not associated with the tournament until Musburger used it then. But, um, Brevin, I'm going to ask you next. Um, can you name the NCAA tournament's all-time leading score? All-time leading score. Oh, geez. Who has played in the most tournaments and has scored a lot of points? <laughs> I know it's not I can, recent. I can, give you, I can give you a hint. Well, this obviously was... I have a feeling, Kyle, was this after the expansion in 85? Uh... Yes, I believe yeah. so. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay, well, that takes out Kareem. And his run with, mm -hmm. takes out the UCLA 11-year run, for the most yep. part. Jeez. Uh -huh. um, I have to think about players who played four years as well, or played longer. Right. Um. So this obviously that takes out... Guys like Bird and Magic. Mm -hmm. Jordan is a possibility, but he only played two years in North Carolina, so mm -hmm. I don't think it's Jordan. Um, Th this player, he was the only collegiate selected to the 92 uh, Dream Team. Okay. Uh, well, next stop, before even you said that was, I was like, well, maybe Mellow when they won in 2003, but well, said you said that it's uh, Christian Leitner was with Duke. There you go. That's right. It was Christian Leitner. Um, yeah, absolutely. He is the all-time league scorer of the tournament. He has 407 points. Wow. He said, Revan, when, when you think about guys who played four years, he was one of them. Mm -hmm. um, only nine players had more than 300 points in March. 
Wow. So there you go. That, that's uh, uh, pretty interesting there. Um, Amber, we're going to move on to you now here. Um, who has the most NCAA tournament wins um, by a single coach? I'll give you some names here. Ooh. I got it. Wait, name oh. them off. Name them off. Oh, oh. <laughs> you, you, want, you want to give a bold guess and you just want to guess off the top? Shashevsky. Yep, it is. Yeah, it was Coach K. He has uh, 97 wins all time. In the Legend. Hey. Dutch is 93 wins away from tying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, that's that's his record there. Uh, I'm trying to pull up uh, who has uh, other ones. Roy Williams has 77. And I was going to say. Yeah. Dean Smith. Two legends. Jim Beheim, John Calipari, Bill Self, Tom Izzo behind them. Mm -hmm. So that's your history of coaches in the NCAA tournament. And, uh, Brevin, I'm going to ask you one more here, too. Um yeah. Let's uh, talk here. Uh, the first NCAA Division One men's basketball tournament. Oh, um, which uh, decade was this played in? The 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s? It was the uh, it was the 50s. It was actually the 30s. It was the 30s. So the first NCAA men's basketball tournament. It was played in 1939, and it had eight teams. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, now it's starting to come back, yeah. Oregon was the first tournament champion and uh, beat Ohio State for that one. The NCAA tournament <laughs> grew to 16 teams in 51. So that was what you're thinking of, I think. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in 1975, it went up to 32 teams. And then 85, like you mentioned, that was the expansion. So, um, opening round game introduced in 2001. Three more games were added to the round uh, in 2011 for the first four. So, okay. um, that's interesting. I wasn't actually sure when the first four began. And now it's every year in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, so there's your March Madness uh, trivia history right there. Uh, you guys did pretty good uh, right there. Reverend Amber, uh, promise yeah. to you guys. Um, once, once again, uh, a lot of cool facts here. Um, a, a couple interesting ones that I saw too. Loyola Marymount was part of the three highest scoring games in tournament history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, they they beat Michigan in a game one forty nine to one fifteen. How crazy yeah. is that? Mm -hmm. There were some good LMU teams back in the day. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode number 94 here on Down the Line. Thank you so much, as always, to our guests, the one and only Amber Salas. Uh, appreciate you joining, catching up with us, uh, talking sports as we would always do in the Daily Aztec newsroom way back when. Missed those days, but glad that we could uh, reconnect here and we could talk. Uh, any last thoughts uh, before we let you go? Go Aztecs! <laughs>
So the Aztecs roll tax. We dem tax. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. <laughs> Big day on Saturday. Oh, I believe. Yeah. I guess that's what I'll say too. Yeah. I believe. But yes, thank you guys for having me. It's always so fun. Yeah. Yep. Like you said, just like the good old days, but exciting things ahead. Absolutely. Yep. And you can follow Amber on Twitter at Amber Salas. K T I V. Very active there. Always posting content. Love to see it. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to look forward to this Aztec game coming up here on Saturday. And we're going to talk about it here on our next episode of Down the Line. So that's going to be it here for number 94 here of Down the Line. Once again, I'm Kyle Betts. Thanks to Amber Salas for joining me and for Revan Honda. Uh, we're going to wrap this one up here. We will see you next week.